Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders for coders about all aspects of creating your best life as a developer. I'm Will, the accomplished developer and aspiring software architect. And I'm Beach, the journeyman developer sharing my journey in development. Complete Developer Podcast is supported by listeners like you. We are now on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash complete developer podcast. The longer your career goes, the more likely it is that you'll get overloaded with work. Whether it's because your company is understaffed, your manager assigns you too much stuff to do, or because schedules aren't managed well. There will come a point when you have more stuff to do than you can easily handle. In this episode, we're going to talk through some strategies that you can use to stay sane while doing this. While this episode is largely geared towards senior developers, a lot of the strategies that we're going to discuss can still be used by more junior developers. But before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Man, I've had so many meetings, it's not even funny. Uh, just like uh, you know, talking to other developers on the other side of the planet, management type meetings. I've had, you know, just I've had so much stuff going on. I feel like half my day today, I had headphones on and I had the microphone in front of me. And we're just <laughs> now starting podcasting. Um, so I also uh, kind of didn't finish the last chapter of my book manuscript uh, as planned this last weekend. I started realizing I was getting a little bit burnout on the writing. And so I stopped and I started playing with .NET Core. And Spent a lot of time on that. And, you know, it's good. I mean, I've, I've got to do it for work anyway. So, mm-hmm. um, I needed to, you know, ramp up on that. Um, but that may not have been the best time to do that. Um, I've still got like three weeks before the deadline. So it's, it's still totally fine. And I, I think actually having a break may have helped me a little bit. So how about you? It's the last month of the semester. You know, finals are at the end of the month. I'm just slammed with study doing stuff for the podcast, work, and then my church commitments. It's kind of funny that we're talking about dealing with scheduling and overload tonight because we're both I'm there. really going through it. Yeah. Um, I am really looking forward to May, though, because things are going to start calming down. I'm purposely not taking on anything extra and just sort of going to relax this summer. I am really loving my house, but it's getting to lawn mowing season. I mean, I've been in an apartment for several years, and before that, I was living in a camper. So, other than like helping my mom out, it's been a while since I've mowed a lawn. Like, I don't even have a lawnmower, so I'm paying a guy to mow it now. It's really not too expensive, so you know, it, it was it's cheaper on me now to pay him than to go out and buy a lawnmower and do it myself. But speaking of mowing the lawn, I have something really interesting for IOTs. So this is a product called Kobe, and it's like a Roomba for your yard. It doesn't clean the dirt. but instead has three really useful functions, sort of depending on where you live, I guess, for the third one. First and most important, it will mow the lawn. Just show this little yard robot the perimeter and any fixed objects and let it go. 
Uh, it even mulches the grass as it goes, and it can mow up to seven acres of lawn. And I don't have anywhere near that. Then, as the weather starts to change, it'll even remove your leaves. It will remove leaves up to three acres. Um, there's even a functionality that we would almost never use down here, and that's blowing away snow. Yeah. Now, this is this has the, the smallest area with only about a third of an acre, uh, though it can throw the snow up to 40 feet, depending on conditions. That would be really fun to see. Like, I, I want to get one of these and take it up to Cleveland, where my sister lives, and just let it throw snow 40 feet. My nephew would think that was the greatest thing ever. You would, I too. would think that was a... <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> yeah, would, too. Come on, man. <laughs> my nephew would do it. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> just stop. <laughs> um, it, it's wirelessly connected, so once set up, it will monitor and keep your lawn looking nice. It's even linked to weather services and forecasts. Now, the thing is in beta testing, and unfortunately, they are not accepting any more testers but this is a really cool product to keep your eye on. And I'll have a link to their website in the show notes. Who's talking to us this week? We got a comment on the top five LinkedIn mistakes from Eduardo. It says, cheers from Brazil. I enjoy your podcast and how you explain the subjects. Thanks, Eduardo. That really does mean a lot to us. Um, we put a lot of effort into making ourselves and the concepts that we discuss understandable. Uh, I know Will and I both have, uh, have put a lot of thought and energy into being good at explaining things. And to hear that that helps you really does mean a lot to us. Send us an email to neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com with your contact information because we've got a complete developer water bottle just for you. And to go ahead and answer your question, yes, we will send it down to Brazil. Guys, if you'd like your very own complete developer water bottle, Leave us a review in iTunes or comment on the website or any of our social media. We post all our episodes to Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and uh, no longer Google+. We're also on Instagram and Tumblr. You can check us out each week on Facebook Live. where We talk about what's going on in the tech world and answer a few listener questions. Or join the conversation anytime via Slack by going to slack.completedevelopernetwork.com. A few months after the beginning of a new year, many of you will find yourselves overloaded at work. If it doesn't happen then, there are almost certainly points during the year where it will. In addition to the normal ebb and flow of your workload during the year, there will be certain points when you suddenly find yourself with more stuff to do than time to do it in. This may be because of business opportunities that present themselves suddenly, because you got promoted, or even because one or more of your coworkers has left. Additionally, poorly planned projects can result in increased workload as your team scrambles around to meet difficult deadlines or build features that weren't really planned well. You may find yourself suddenly trying to fix a lot of bugs, either because they passed QA or because a third party changed something on their platform without warning. You may suddenly find yourself refactoring an application to help it scale better under load, convert it to run on another platform, or comply with regulation. In short, there are a ton of things that can ruin your schedule, and you don't have control over very many of them at all. 
In this episode, we're going to discuss some approaches you can use to help manage your schedule. While none of these will completely fix the problem if you're truly overwhelmed with work, they can make a heavy schedule a little easier to handle. If you're totally overwhelmed, you still need to discuss this with management. However, if your workload is simply a little higher than it should be, the tips in this episode should help you to get through it a little easier. So the first thing we're going to talk about is some of the causes of work overload. And the first one is you committed to too much. Yeah. No one has ever done that. Nobody ever. with with the na- with the initials BJB <laughs> or WWG. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean it's it's really easy to do this, right? Like especially if you underestimate stuff or if a schedule gets slightly out of whack. Uh, you can be overcommitted when you really didn't initially overcommit. Now, another thing that will cause this problem is when you don't have enough people to do the task at hand. I mean, this can happen because you've picked up, you know, more work that, you know, you can't offload to people. Uh, this can happen because people leave. This can happen for a variety of reasons. Um, but this is pretty common, I think, in most software development jobs in the U.S. right now because of the price of developers. Most people I talk to are overloaded. Next, you aren't familiar with the tasks that you have to do. Now, this could be because you're a back-end developer and the UI developer is on vacation and you do a little bit of UI, but that's not your forte. And so there's some stuff that needs to be fixed or there's a bug that you need to look at. This is this is what usually happens to me when I get overloaded is... Like something like, oh, the, the UI developer is out of town or he's sick. And so me knowing a little bit, I can, I can do some. Yeah. And I, I end up getting, getting in a little over my head sometimes. Yeah. It, it tends to get me more with, um, like project management tasks or technical docs or, or those kinds of things because usually they go, oh, you can do those things and it's not going to take that much time. So you can still do your full workload. And that's how I end up getting nailed. Now, another thing that can happen is you have organizational issues that are distracting from your work. So this could be stuff like uh, you have stupid meetings, um, (laughs) which we all do. Um, Everybody has at least one meeting a week that should have been an email. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you could have that. You could have situations where, you know, there's just like a bad project planning uh, pipeline going on. There's... Uh, scope creep, there's change that should have been planned that wasn't. Um, there's all kinds of stuff that can happen that could do this, you know, that would be an organizational issue that makes it hard to get work done. I'll tell you, the speaking of meetings, the absolute worst are the ones that pop up at the last minute. Oh, like, yeah. Uh, the other day, I was in the office and we just made our lunch plans. Like, it's 1130. We are in the process of standing up to go to lunch and my lead developer comes up and says, Hey, we need to discuss the security issue on this one app, which we had a meeting that was scheduled for that earlier in the day, but it got canceled because uh, somebody was sick. I'm like, well, they're rescheduling that meeting. She's like, yeah, but you know, as the, as the developers, we need to, to discuss this and come up with a plan for it so that we can bring it to the meeting. So it's right as you're going to lunch, right? Can I tell you an old pro tip for this? Please do. Keep a bag of pork rinds in your desk. If it's on the way to lunch, you know, I, I got to eat something. So, I mean, I, I can eat while we're talking, right? 
and then just start like noshing on pork rinds. Like most people don't want to be there for that. The next, um, the next cause could be that your team, your management, your client, someone in that process is unreliable. And this can include power to the building too, right? Like if there's something you're depending on or somebody and it isn't there. Yeah. I've, I've had a lot of trouble with this. Um, when I've worked on teams and there's been like one person that uh, was either waiting on stuff from me or that I was waiting on stuff from them and they just disappear mm-hmm. for hours at a time. Like I worked at this one company where this dude, he was taking karate classes in the middle of the day and everybody was working remote and he was gone for like four hours. And you know, you've got, stuff that you're waiting on from him and you're dead in the water until he comes back. Yeah, another thing that can happen is when you don't have clear requirements. In other words, I just want a website for my business. Like if somebody ever tells you that, um, what you do is is you try to find the most recent clone of GeoCities and set them up with you know with something with like sparkles and stuff in the background. Go, you got a website <laughs> for your business. If you'll give me real specs, I'll make a real website. Um, yeah. Don't actually do that. Or, or if you do, like, video the reaction and send it to us and we can post yeah, it on the channel. Um, we will. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. <laughs> um, the, the next one is you are doing unnecessary work and no one has ever done that. Yeah. I, this is something I think that really hits a lot of junior to mid-level developers, like right at that transition point mm-hmm. um, where they will gold plate stuff because they're doing kind of a little bit of resume-driven development. like. I know about some stuff that I did um, that was totally this way. It's like you could have done a switch statement and you spent like four hours writing this thing that used reflection. It was nice because they could add more stuff and it would load itself up, but didn't. they never had to do that. Yeah, it, it didn't need to be that complex. The thing about that is um, at that level, that, that junior to mid kind of transition level, you almost need to be coding that way to because that's that's how you're learning these more complex stuff for when you have to use it but it's also how you're learning when to use it like if yeah. you hadn't done that you, i would have done it right yeah. like if i hadn't have done it then i would have done it sometime later right that's what i'm getting at yeah yeah um, but still you don't want that when your schedule's tight uh, another thing that will get you and that will produce unnecessary work is when you're doing work in the wrong order. So you start on a piece, you get a little ways and you realize, Oh, I've got to have all this crap in the database. You know, like I've got like five stored procs. I got to write, you got to drop what you're doing and go over there and do that mm-hmm. and come back. Like that's not efficient. Get the procs, then come back and do the thing. Um, yeah. Doing stuff out of order means you've got a lot of context switching overhead. So now getting into some of the approaches that you can use to help you manage your schedule. The first one is sort of the most obvious, and that is delegate. Yeah, because if it isn't your problem, it isn't a problem. <laughs> right? Uh, if, yeah, I mean, if you can't do the work, someone else probably can. Even if you aren't in management, you can usually convince management to assign some tasks to other people especially if you could make a good case for doing it. Which you you always can, right? Because there's there's three kinds of developers. There's the junior developer who needs to learn how to do this anyway, so it's training. Mm-hmm. There's the or there's the junior, you know, there's a developer that's junior to you. There's a developer that's at your same level and can also do the same amount of work. Or there's the senior the developer that's senior to you that can do it faster. Yeah. And so you've literally got a case for all three. Unless you're the most senior person there. Well, then you're training your team. <laughs> That's what that is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Now, if you're on a team with multiple people, make sure that you and the other people on the team are working on the tasks that you have the most skill. This is not the time for cross training. You know, when you're not under load, when you're not stressed out, that's when you want to do the cross training. We've, we've talked about this where I work, where we'll have a sprint where the UI developer works on the back end stuff and the back end developer works on the UI stuff. And we're, we're going to purposely only take on a few stories that are really simple. Yeah. But we want to do that cross training. But when you're two sprints away from production, that's not the time to do it. Right. And, you know, the other thing is like, you'll run into people that can kind of do stuff and maybe they're just mediocre at it, but it also tires them out a lot. So even then you may not want to put that task on that person, even if they can handle it. Okay. Just because of the damage it does to the morale and all that kind of thing. And the real deal here is that this, this approach is fairly defensible because you're only able to do so much stuff. Um, now I will say with a, a caveat on that, I worked at one company um, that bragged, they humble bragged basically that they had written up two employees the week before for working more than 96 hours. If you think about how messed up that statement actually is. Um, so you're, you're going to run into some places like that. You just need to go somewhere else or do what I did and work like 80 hours a week for a while and make sure you're hourly billing and then like <laughs> leave and then go buy something nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what you have to do is you have to go to management and show that you cannot get more done in a standard workday than what you're already doing. And that kind of sets the groundwork for this sort of stuff. Uh, another good way to, to do this is to make a case by delegating lower value or less critical tasks. This is These are good things for your junior developer or the one that is junior to you to work on. Right, because I mean, it's still a value add for them. Um, but you'll be surprised how much stuff that you get assigned that is just simply not worth your hourly rate. Yeah. Um, and like you couldn't justify it if you were a contractor doing that. Mm -hmm. But because you're on salary, it does get justified. And so that will give you a lot of wiggle room. So the next approach is to prioritize the work you do based on project critical paths. A task is on the critical path of a project if it is a part of the tasks required to complete the project in the minimum amount of time. Yeah. And so a way to think about this is that if a task is on the critical path and it gets delayed, the project completion is delayed. So for instance, if there's two or three tasks that can be done in parallel, but one of them has got a bunch of stuff dependent on it and the other ones don't, that one will be on the critical path mm -hmm. because it pushes back the others. Yeah, handling things on the critical path means that other people aren't waiting on you, which kind of keeps management off your back sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, and by the way, this can't be really um, understated. You will not get any faster by having management leaning over your shoulder, seeing what you're doing. That's so true. Uh, is, even even though like half of the managers out there try that. Um, that well, the, literally never works. And, and it's it's not industry specific. It doesn't matter what industry you're in. That never works. I, I don't, it's a bad management strategy. And I, I don't know if they teach against it in management school, but they should. Well, they don't really teach management um, in, in most places, right? Like the, the, the level of management that happens at a lot of companies is equivalent to a Viking rowboat, right? Like 
the biggest guy is threatening everybody else. <laughs> and that's it. There's no, oh, well, we get, you know, we get further up the river if we do this. They're not like quantifying this stuff. They're just like, oh, I'll just threaten them. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Handling the critical path tasks first is defensible for a lot of different reasons. First off, it keeps you from looking slow because people aren't always complaining about waiting on you. I mean, the, the, the big thing here is you're working on the things that are needed most. So quick example here, I've got a project that I'm on that we're in like the last phases of testing before going to, to production. Uh, but then we had a security issue come up and I got pulled to work on this other project that was higher priority. I worked on that, got that done. And I came back to, to this other project. I had a couple other things that I've been assigned that are, all right, well, when you're, when you're not fixing a bug for this or fixing something that the UAT found where they like, Oh, Hey, we need this or that report or whatnot. That's what it always ends up being is we need this report or that report, you know? Yeah. Um, but when, when you're not working on that, we want you to work on these other things because otherwise I'd be just sitting here, you know, until something came up. But as soon as something comes up, I drop everything else I'm doing and go straight to it because this is the one that's about to go to production. Right. Yeah. And if you can kind of control that, that makes it a lot easier to be perceived as being effective. Um, a lot of this stuff kind of fits into that mold because of the fact that if you're perceived as being ineffective, more people get in your way. It also helps to avoid crisis situations where delivery dates aren't met. Right. So or at you, least you, it's somebody else that did it. Right. Like you, you need to put your focus on the most important thing to get the product out the door. And then when you're not working on that, go to the next most important thing down the line. Yeah. And it's weird how many people don't really do this very well. It, um, it's weird to me to think that people don't because that's just the way that I, I think. Yeah. I think, I think both of us really have, have had so much of a heavy workload for so long that I, mm -hmm. you know, like I can't think that other way anymore. Like it's just not there. Um, I mean, I could understand it if it was like the mindset of, well, I really want to do this other thing because it's more fun that I kind of can wrap my brain around. Yeah. Um, but it just doesn't make sense to me that people don't do that. Yeah. Except for one scenario. And that is where management tells you to do something that isn't on the critical path. Mm -hmm. um, and when they do that, make sure and get that written you know, get some kind of written documentation so you can prove that, hey, look, they told me to do it. So, um, you know, the idea there being that that keeps you from getting a lot of negative attention from management when this thing does not get delivered. So the next thing you need to do, especially if you're you know, a developer, you're some kind of creative, um, you're doing big chunks of work where you have to think deeply, is you need to actually set aside blocks of time for focused work. Like put that on your calendar, go into Outlook set that up and say, this is a work period. You can't do that with a whole day, but take a chunk and actually do that so that when people try to schedule crap in there, they get a message that's like, hey, this is a work period. I don't work, you know, from, you know, I don't do meetings from, you know, nine o'clock in the morning until 11 o'clock in the morning. And that way you at least have some place to put the extremely difficult, you know, hard to do tasks where they're not going to get interrupted, theoretically. Oh, yeah, I totally do this. Um since we started working from home, I just kept my normal schedule. So I was having to get up early to go into the office. I just kept getting up early because I found that if I start working around 730, 
between 7.30 and 9.30, nobody bothers me. Our first meeting is at 9.30 and like most people start around 9 and they're like getting themselves going. So I usually don't get bothered and I can, I can get so much work done in that two hour time frame. Mine is basically all day Tuesdays and Thursdays. Like if I'm working from home, um, and I think a lot of that is because our conference room uh, acoustics really, really suck. And so they don't want to be on a call with me because I'm kind of always, I'm like an old man going, hey, what you say? <laughs> right. And so like, they just don't want to do that. And so it works perfectly for me. Just uh, it's accidental, but it's effectively scheduled now. Well, I mean, I, I could help them set up some audio equipment to make that work. Better. So could I. <laughs> <laughs> But it's not to my advantage <laughs> at all. Because uh, then I would be getting less done because of meetings. Um, yeah. That and, and most meetings are better face to face. But, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a while back we, you know, we discussed this and, you know, like a reason a lot of developers are overloaded is they're not allowed to focus for long enough to get stuff done. In fact, um, gosh, that was one of the first few episodes we did about like, you know, why developers hate. Uh, interruptions and distractions. I forget. It was like in the first 10. We should, we should revisit some of those older episodes because, you know, I know I have grown as a developer. Well, I've become a developer. When we first started, I was just an apprentice. Yeah, we really so, should probably hit those again or do something. But uh, also a lot of managers, uh, especially people without development experience, react to impending missed deadlines by panicking and scheduling more meetings because oh, they are man. doing something. Yeah. That is, that is what they can do. Um, and I, re- I remember when I've gotten uh, pulled, this was a long time ago, but I got pulled from the project I was working on because we had a developer leave and they just needed, there was like three or four weeks until this went, went live. They just needed an API developer who understood enough to jump on and just be there and answer questions for him. I was really frustrated because the team was behind. So they were being quote unquote punished by being put into a conference room and not allowed to work at their desks. And I'm like, really? You're you're going to restrict my access to all the tools and things that I have and expect me to work on a project that I'm not familiar with. And it, it was, it was one of those things. And Honestly, if it hadn't been for the the UI developer, I probably would have gotten really frustrated, but he was a really great guy. And they ended up putting us on a team together later and we worked really well together. But uh, he, he made that experience like survivable. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's that's the thing, right? Like you end up, um, you know, sometimes it works out OK, but most of the time you just like have to fight to get the time that you need to get stuff done just all in one you know period of time. Like you'll get 15 minutes and then you get pulled into another meeting or you get, you know, called about a bug or, you know, somebody goes, Hey, did you hear about that thing? And yeah. you're just constantly getting interrupted. So you're, you're going to have to do this. And it's it, really hard to defend this practice, but you're going to have to do it to succeed. The, the, the problem is the longer you've been at a place, the more you're you're involved in and the better you get like it, it's sort of like a punishment for success the better you become as a programmer the more you're getting pulled into things yeah um i plan i on wednesdays when we go into the office i don't plan on getting anything done development wise because i know i'm going to spend all of my time 
like going around and just sometimes I'm just a squeaky rubber duck. Yeah. Like, uh, the other advanced developer that's like, he's been doing this longer than you have and he likes to come and talk to me. I don't, I don't think I can, like, I contribute anything to those conversations other than questions. Yeah. But sometimes that's what questions. you need. Yeah. And, but I, I always expect, you know, all right, we're going to have a couple of conversations where he's going to be telling me about stuff. And I learned so much from that. I love it. But I, if I get anything done on a Wednesday, it's a bonus. Yeah. Um, Mondays are like that for me. It's just, yeah. I don't plan to, to get anything done. <laughs> what you need to do is try to convince management to restrict meetings and other interruptions to predictable times. So this is like the rest of the week for me. It's, it's very predictable and I schedule half the meetings I'm in just because my lead developer asks me to. She's like, Hey, can you schedule this meeting for everybody? All right. <laughs> yeah. See, they, they don't ask me to do that because every single time I have to figure it out again, mm-hmm. like an outlook. It's like, how do I do a meeting in here? <sighs> see, this is why I'm asked to do it is because she would have to do that. <laughs> yeah. Like I'll just send people an email and go, Hey, uh, you know, when sounds like a good time to do that meeting and then I'll delegate the the scheduling of the meeting to somebody else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. It's just not my jam. Uh, that, that's 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 what happens with me. It's that I'm the one that it gets delegated to. Yeah. Uh, but uh basically if you don't do this, your project is gonna fail. Yeah, there's no other way to put that. Yeah, some developers will work after hours to get things done on time. I uh, I know there were some projects that I worked on that we went yeah, we worked a lot extra because some of the people we were working with could not get their work done. Yeah. And we didn't want, we didn't want to fail as a team. So we would make up the slack and it was stressful. It got to a point where the other developers and I all got together and we're like, all right, you know what? Nothing is going to change until we fail. Yeah. Because, I mean, oh. management that if they're screwing up, they learn that they can do they can continue to screw up if you bail them out. Yeah. Uh, they're kind of like it, it's sort of like having children. Like if they don't um, if they don't ever fall down, they don't realize they can. And so they do more dumb stuff. Now, working over is not recommended, but you can get away with it for kind of short bursts. Um Though almost always, this is a bad idea. And we have an entire episode on like death marches and things like that. Yeah. So. I mean, I'll, I'll occasionally jump in and do um, more work if like I found a more eloquent way to deal with a problem, but it's going to mm-hmm. take a minute. Um, I'll occasionally do that just so that we have something that's easier to deal with. But my goal oh, yeah. with that is to speed up the team so we actually get done ahead of time. Yeah. And, you know, there are several times that I'll be out on a Saturday morning, like doing stuff and a solution to what I was working on Friday will hit me. Yeah. And you know, I'm going to write that down. And then as soon as I get home, I'm going to hop on my laptop from work and work on it. Sometimes, it, sometimes it's just putting that in there. Sometimes it's like playing around with it for a couple of hours. Yeah. You know, yeah, just because I don't want to have to wait until Monday to get that get that idea out. Yeah. And I don't think that's so bad. It's just when you have to force it, that's, that's yeah. when you're in, in a bad spot. So speaking of stuff that you're forced to deal with, uh, the next thing you need to do is you need to shut out distractions. So this is similar to the interruptions that meetings and uh, stuff like that, you know, that are scheduled. 
distractions from inconsiderate or completely clueless people can be very damaging to your ability to focus. And this can be anything from loud talking to random announcements coming over the loudspeaker. Um, dude, I worked at this company. There was, there was a woman, there's a female secretary, and I swear that woman did her nails like 10 times a day. Like <laughs> I, I associate the smell of nail polish remover with her face. Like, you know how you get like that sensory, like you smell something and you remember somebody like, mm-hmm. and bear in mind, my dad has an oil distributorship. So I've been around like a lot of petrochemicals and she still sticks out in my mind because of that. But this woman, instead of like dialing the phone to find somebody, she would hit a button that got her on the loudspeaker for the whole building looking for somebody because she only had to hit that once and she didn't have to worry about breaking a nail. And she would disrupt the developers constantly. And I remember uh, my boss's boss standing at the door of our office trying to talk to us about something. You know, we were having a meeting and she came on looking for somebody and just going on at length. And then we get back to talking and you know, she comes on again. And then we get back to talking. She does it a third time. And, you know, I, I looked at I looked at him and I said, um, kind of thinking about reaching up in the ceiling and cutting that wire. And he goes, I'll, I'll make sure nobody's coming. <laughs> and we got rid of that problem. We just sliced the wire, um, you know, made it a little hard if somebody actually had to get a hold of us. But, you know, it should have been by phone. Um, but you'll run into those kind of people in office environments and you've got to have some way of shutting them out. You know, this can also include visual distractions. And that's something that I have issue with because like audio I can just, I can tune it out. I know that's audio is where you. Yeah. Visual will get me too, though. Like if I have the audio coverage um, and then I see something out of the corner of my eye, that's real distracting because I can't hear it. Basically this works for anything environmental that impedes your progress and breaks your focus on a frequent and unscheduled basis. Yeah. This is why I love working from home is because I can control the environment. Yeah, and that's the big uh, the big feature of it. I mean, at that same company, there was somebody that would like they had like a tuna casserole or something they made at home, and like every couple of days, man, they would stink up the entire floor because they would heat it up in the microwave and like mm. overheat it. Yeah, it was is disgusting. And I mean, you talk about breaking your concentration like that scent. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, I know. Uh, we we have an open office space now. When I first started, when we were coming in every day, it was cubicles, which is fine because I can get myself into like this no distraction zone there. But dude, somebody asked me what I thought of the open office space. I was somebody kind of high up and uh, I said, you know, coming in once a week, I think it's great. It's really good for like we sit together, we can talk, we can chat. It gets a lot of like socializing out of the way. We can sit and like discuss different things and people can, can come into the conversations. But if I had to do this every day, I would not be here. You're going to need a way to get away from distractions. This may mean using a different office or like we've talked about working from home. Uh, noise canceling headphones are amazing, um, but usually not enough. I'll tell you a little trick that we learned in medical school. Because we liked to study at uh, the coffee shops. And we would sit there and put noise-canceling headphones on, run brown noise, and then play music, like instrumental music on top of that. Because sometimes you can hear people talking over the music, but if you're running that brown noise behind the music, 
then it drowns like that becomes part of the brown noise and you don't hear them talking. Yeah, I've wondered uh, how much hearing damage is likely for those of us that have to put on noise cancelers a lot, you know, and play music to to cut out racket. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm sure that there's probably some, you know, hearing damage issues going on there, but I mean noise cancelers are great, but they are not good enough, you know, one hundred percent of the time. No, I will say this, you get enough hearing damage and then you don't need them anymore. Well, there is that. <laughs> um, now, this is hard to sell to management um, because if they thought that this stuff was damaging to productivity, uh, they would have already fixed it. Uh, it's also very easy to sound whiny when you're suggesting environmental changes. Um, I've had some success by working remotely for other reasons and then showing the results. So you just go, hey, I- I've got to work remote today because uh, i got to change my smoke alarm batteries or whatever, man. Uh, and, and then you work. You work remote and go, man, I got twice as much done. You know, that's one way to sell this. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, it can be kind of tricky. Yeah, it really can. So the next one is you need to force breaks. Now, this sounds kind of counterintuitive, but it's really, really critical. A naive understanding of software development tends to make people think that working more will produce more. But a lot of times that's not the case. And there's a lot of reasons for that. First off, having less time to accomplish an even small task will often make you more selective about how to implement it. Yeah. And the other thing is like developers will struggle with one bug for hours and they fix it in a few minutes the next day after they've gone home and they've thought about something else. Your brain works in the background on this stuff. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you when I was in the office every day, the lead UI developer I was working with, he sat right in front of me. I've probably told the story a few times, but when I get frustrated, apparently I, I slam my hands down on my seat. And there were several days that it was 2, 2.30. He just turned around and he's like, pack up and go home, man. You've been frustrated for an hour now. He's like, you're not going to get it. Go home, rest, come back, like go ahead and bill for the full day. Cause I was a contractor. He's like, bill us for the full day. Just go home and, and relax then come back and tomorrow I know you're going to knock it out. And I would, I would go home um, and I would make dinner. And usually by the time I finished eating dinner or walking the dog, I'd already thought of the solution. Yeah. And you implemented in like 30 seconds. Yeah. I jump on my laptop and I put it in. This is why a lot of people come up with these impressive insights when they're out on walks in the shower, sitting on the toilet in the dead of night Yeah, it's because those are the only times that you are not trying to get something done or you're trying to get something else done, as it were. Um, And and a lot of people, that's legitimately the only time they get that. And that's why they come up with those insights in a very uncomfortable, useless situation. This is really hard to defend if you don't have someone that understands it. Like I was lucky to have a lead dev that, that knew that and kind of forced it on me because it helped me to get that. Yeah, I've I've had the problem, too, where it's really hard to defend this because they had a developer there previously who took a ton of breaks Mm -hmm. um, and then didn't get stuff done. Like, you still have to deliver if you do this. And you may not be able to get a real break if your management is particularly bad on this. However, you may be able to get away with a quick run down the hall to get coffee. Um, When I was in the office, we would go upstairs because there was a not a Starbucks, but a we brew Starbucks place up there and a Chick-fil-A. So you could be like, all right, I'm going to run and get coffee. 
And so you have to go up there and have to stand in line for a few minutes. So you get like three to five minute break just doing that. That and just walking you know, to the other side of the building kind of helped. Yeah. Or uh, Keurig coffee is the same thing, right? Because you got to wait on it. Yeah. And if totally use else, that. If nothing else, make sure you take lunch breaks away from your desk. Yeah. And I've even worked at companies that didn't want you to do that. Um, yeah, I would not stay at a place like that. Yeah, that's the one I was talking about that was bragging or humble bragging yeah. about their employees working 96 hours. It's that same environment. Uh, no, I mean, I work from home most days and I don't eat lunch at my desk. I go I, into my kitchen and make lunch and I, I take a break physically away from my desk. You know why I do that? Because I've been, I get up and I'm, I work for two hours solid. Then I have meetings for a little while. And then usually I work on like emails and a couple of things like that. Go make my lunch, a break. I relax. Sometimes I'll even put the TV on and watch like a 30 minute TV show or something while I'm eating. And then I come back and I'm just ready. I'm ready to go. I don't know what it is. That just that stepping out, out of the office. Yeah. I'll do I'll walk upstairs and like go pet the dogs or something. Yeah. I mean, even just a few minutes can really. You know, it can get you back on track really quickly. Now, next, you need to insist on clear specifications. Another issue that destroys developer productivity and makes deadlines harder occurs when your specs are ambiguous or non-existent. I've heard of places where their scrum teams were, were accepting stories and working on them with no acceptance criteria. Yeah, that that's most agile shops, I yeah. think, or at least the kind I've been in. Um, you know, unless it's part of your job to do technical specs, you shouldn't be spending time trying to figure out what they mean, especially when you're under a deadline. Yeah, I mean, bad specifications can cause you to waste time producing features that aren't needed or incorrectly implementing features that are needed. Um a lot of developers also get really stressed when attempting to figure out unclear documentation to the point that the number of mistakes they make goes up. Mm-hmm. And this may be you or maybe other people on the team, but guess what? It still lands on you. This one is liable to tangle you up in a lot of office politics. You know, it's easy for this to be interpreted as trying to shift the blame to someone else. Yeah, and this is especially true when management is in charge of the specifications. Um, I've worked with managers that, um, you know, would would come up with a design for a system that you know is going to take six months to write, and it's like a paragraph. And then they're mad because you didn't hit their vision because you can't mind read. And yeah. so the the way to fix this is ask a lot of questions, uh, you know, for clarification. Um, this will do several things. One is it gets rid of the immediate problem. But the other thing is it gives them feedback that, hey, I'm not being clear and now I'm being interrupted. So the next thing you should be doing is you need to insist on asynchronous communication methods and only check them at specific times. So this means turning off stuff like Slack, email, text notifications, your desk phone, those kinds of things. Anything that can jump up and interrupt you and make you deal with it right now and then come back and and look at it later. So your phone can go to voicemail, all that kind of stuff. This is especially bad for a lot of us because we check regularly. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a thing that like breaks down how frequently you check your email during the day. Um, But it's, it's appalling on average what, you know, how frequently people actually do that. I I remember um, I was talking to someone that they, they were saying they're trying to get it implemented at work that you had to check your email uh, so many times per day. 
like once every three or four hours or something. But then they, they were using Slack and it was like, all right, you have to respond to Slack within 15 minutes. Yeah, I would I would put a resume in somewhere else. Yeah, I, and I, I, I told the person, I'm like, that's ridiculous. I'm like, I may spend more than 15 minutes in the bathroom because I've got IBS. Yeah, or, uh, you know, I'm heads down on a problem. And, you know, because what that ends up doing is it empowers people that don't look stuff up to make everybody else slower. And the thing is, the possibility of a distraction is often enough to slow you down. I mean, if you think about how you code when you know that nobody's going to bug you versus how you code when somebody might interrupt you at any moment, you know, you're more defensive in the latter case. And that takes more time. Oh, yeah. Uh, I remember back when I was going to the office every day, QA on our team sat right behind me and he did not get this concept. It it took him a while. I, I finally had to just put my foot down. Um, like he, I, I told him multiple times, I'm like, man, I'm, I'm heads down in code. I can't stop what I'm doing. It's going to take me time to get back into it. Uh, I don't know. It was, it was a back and forth, um, a lot because he just didn't get it. He would want, he would want for me just to stop whatever I was doing to answer his question. Yeah. And half the time it was, Hey, you said you pushed this, but I'm not seeing it. And I was like, did you refresh your browser? Yeah, and they don't check because they're they're not incentivized to because it's faster to get you, right? Like yeah. this this creates organizational problems if you don't do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really easy to justify this to management if you do it carefully. Uh, most software development managers know how bad interruptions are for productivity. They're also usually aware of how many notifications the average developer gets and how few of them are actually valuable. But you're going to have difficulty completely ignoring email, Slack, and your desk phone especially if management is relying on a prompt answer from you for something. Then you have to add in your personal cell phone and stuff. Just an example from today, uh, I was dealing with some stuff and I got a text from a friend of mine and I didn't look at it until I went on my lunch break and I'd had a kind of stressful morning and I don't know how she knew it, but she she sent me a text. And I'm just like, that was really encouraging. Like it made my day better. <laughs> But I didn't get to look at it until I went to lunch because I'm like, that's like, I, I saw that it popped up and I, I keep my phone around in case there's like emergencies with my family. But when I saw who it was, I'm like, all right, well, it's, she's not going to contact me for an emergency. So I just kind of ignored it until I went to lunch. Uh, but that's what you have to do, really. Um, one thing that, that'll really work, especially with, with management and stuff is to ask what has the priority, your task or the interruption. Now I've done this too where I've been interrupted by someone in management or a lead and was like, all right, where does this prior, where does this fall in priority? And it's gotten to the point now where when they send me something, they start with that. I, I don't want to say I've got them trained because I think, I think some other people have done it too. So it's not just me, but they're really good now about saying, Hey, stop what you're doing. This is higher priority or Hey, this is something to work on when you're not working on anything else. Right. You know, this is lower priority. And so they're, they're really good about telling me what the priority is. The next one is you need to ask for stuff before you need it. Yeah. This is the most frustrating thing for me. And, you know, with a lot of people scheduling is they don't ask for stuff before they need it. And that tends to mean that they come and they interrupt the rest of the team, right? Like if your coworkers can't be productive, eventually some of the work lands on you. 
And so if you're asking for stuff at the absolute last minute, you're distracting your team to the point where the work is going to eventually land on you. Uh, it's just, it's not a smart uh, decision, really. No, not, not at all. So like the task that you give to somebody else might not take a lot of time, but if that person is overloaded, just like you are, or they're just slow, you know, heck, you've got somebody on your team that may be really slow and that may be why you're overloaded to begin with. You want to give them time to do it while you're doing other things. And the stuff that you're asking for might not be their top priority. And that can be for a variety of reasons. Uh, this can occur even if your project is the top priority. Um, it may not be for this other person. Oh, yeah, I, I understand that because that is something I'm doing right now. Like my current project is top priority, but we're in testing. Like development is done. We're in testing. And so the only thing I'm doing is kind of some bug fixes or as the business team finds like, oh, hey, we need this added to a report or we need that field added to this you know, spreadsheet that gets printed out. I I'm like doing these little things, but those take priority over the other things that management is having me do in the meantime. And this is especially true of people that are, you know, completely different department mm -hmm. um, or, you know, heck, some people just have their own priorities and they don't listen to management at all yeah. um, for various reasons. The sort of environments that regularly have crunch time almost always have issues with being understaffed or prioritization issues or both really asking for things ahead of needing them is going to help to avoid these problems becoming an issue. You probably won't have to justify this to management unless you're being micromanaged. Right. So there are some managers that'll just be like, Hey, don't ask for that yet. Just ask for it, you know, like tomorrow. And of course you forget about it tomorrow and then you end up asking for it when you need it. It's expected that people ask for things that they need while they're working. If you do it ahead of time, it just means that you're an adult. Honestly, nobody really notices this kind of thing unless the environment is so bad that you can't fix it anyway. The last one we're going to talk about is spend appropriate or more time on project dependency planning. Right. Like everything takes longer if it's done in the wrong order. Yeah. And that includes your project. So not only does this mean that you stop in the middle of the work to work on prerequisites, but doing so can often mean reworking code that's already written. So you have mm -hmm. to go back and fix things because there's stuff you didn't think about in the prerequisite. And this could be as simple as adding a parameter or, oh, hey, there's this, um, you know, it's going to live on a different server and I can't call it like a function. Yeah. Uh, you'll, you'll see all kinds of stuff like that. You'll also generally find that you have more errors in code if you're interrupted for an extended period when you're writing it. Yeah, and I put the word generally there um, in the outline because the other use case is that the code never gets released and you don't find the errors. <laughs> That's uh, why I emphasized it the way Yeah, by virtue yeah. of that. Yeah. Uh, coding errors will come back and cause you problems later when it's tested. You are testing, right? Well, if you're not, your users are. Yeah. Hey, yeah. some people test in production, so, you know, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, you know what's funny is just today we were discussing uh, an issue that was coming up and the UI developer was like, well, this is like, it, we're using kind of an empty object pattern where I'm just passing back, you know, if there's an error somewhere in the API or in the getting stuff from the database, because it's a database error. But if there's an error there, it just passes back an empty object. And this is the contract that 
the when we first started building it, because this is an older piece of the code, we first started building it, we had set up. And so the current API developer, who was not the original one, um, was like, well, this is what I'm getting back. This is what what is coming from the API. And I'm like, yes, you're getting exactly what you're supposed to get. Because there's an error, you're getting exactly what you're supposed to get. That is the contract that we had when we first built this. The thing is, he was, ex- you know, he was expecting something else. He was expecting an error code or something. And so, you know, it, it's the way you code, not even coding errors, but the way you code can come back. This can um, be a tricky sell to management, especially if they made the project plan. Yeah, it's weird how many people think that a project plan is the same thing as a to-do list. Um, <laughs> I mean, really, like I've I've seen you know MS Project documents that had zero dependencies for like a six-month project. It's like you're joking. Like you're telling me that securing the database doesn't follow like creating the database. <laughs> You oh, know, no, you're supposed to secure it before you create it, right? Oh, it's totally secure. If it oh, isn't, yeah. doesn't exist, you can't connect to it. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, your data is completely secure because we erased it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, which, I mean, it's technically true, right? Like, enough thermite, any hard drive is secure. Um, <laughs> that's absolutely true. But, I mean, you'll, you'll see this kind of stuff happen. And if you aren't careful, it's it's really easy to end up doing the wrong thing at the wrong time and just burning a bunch of time or uh, not knowing stuff. So like you may you may uh, start on a part of the project that's really difficult and requires a little bit more uh, experience with the kind of the framework or the approach that you're using. And you should have started with something simpler. Uh, you know, this, this happens all the time. And so really what you want to do is if you have any control over which tasks you take on first, you need to be picking the ones that you believe are most critical to getting things done. And sometimes that varies from the critical path, by the way, because the other stuff I just mentioned. Also, be sure that you are able to defend your decision. It won't go well if you're wrong, but if you're right, your initiative will be appreciated. Yeah, because they're like, hey, this guy thinks ahead. Let me leave him alone. Right? Like that. that is the that's the best pat on the shoulder you're likely to get unless you get a raise. But if they leave you alone, that's still pretty valuable. Guys, when you are overloaded with work, you might think that simply working harder will get you out of the mess. However, that only works up to a certain point. And past that point, you are going to have to employ some practical strategies to either lessen the workload, cut down on wasted steps, or reprioritize your workload to get things done. As you move further along in your career, you'll find yourself applying these strategies more frequently. While not intentional, learning how to do this is really your first step towards learning to lead a team. Now that pretty much wraps us up. Before we close everything out, Will, what do you have for us this week for Tricks of the Trade? Well, can we all just step back for a minute and realize how spectacularly stupid and maladaptive it is to look at work and go, the more work I do, the better person I am. Like the more crap I take on, the better off I am. Um, Cause that's almost never true. And I know if you like, if you read hacker news or you read a lot of development publications, you'll get that impression. And that's really, really not helpful. 
uh, you know, we, we have a really bad problem with burnout in, in this industry. Um, I think, what was it, like half the developers are gone within five years. There's a reason for that. Um, you know, part of it's the isolation, but part of it is, we, you know, you end up on teams with people that are just like, oh, I'll work 60 hours a week on, on this project for no increase in pay, nothing. And then what do you have to do? Well, you have to work 60 hours a week just to compete with them. And this does not get us in a better place. In fact, I would say that the people that are doing that 60 hours of programming a week are probably not any more productive than the ones doing 40 in most cases. Um, so, like, let's just stop that. Like, the overwork thing, I mean, sometimes you get there, sometimes you have to, but you should never look at this as this is someplace that I want to actually be, right? It's sort of, it's like, it's like driving through a swamp. If you have to go through the swamp, you go through the swamp, but you don't go to visit the mosquitoes like they're your in-laws. That's all I got. Stand by for Titanfall. If you have a question or comment, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed through Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is Hillbilly Hip Hop by Jason Belcher. For references, show notes, and to sign up for weekly emails with extra tips and insights, be sure to check out the website at completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Catch us each week as we broadcast live, talking about what's going on in the tech world and answering listener questions. Learn more about all of our shows and groups by going to CompleteDevelopernetwork.com where you'll find links to Junior Developer Toolbox, Developer Launchpad, and our other communities. Thanks for listening. See you next time.